Mr. Pastors, which is crazy, 25. 25, we're trying to figure out how long. It's got to be at least six months. Um, I might be a little out of it today because I took a long, uh, <laughs> a really hard tumble on my skateboard. Uh, I still think it'd be funny to get somebody... So on the on the night of the election, I think it was, I was a little drunk, and I was being snarky, and friends of mine are like demanding that I just start podcasting a live stream of consciousness of what I thought when I was drunk, which would have been funny. We could get Justin hopped up on like Vicodin or yeah. Percocet. So I was skateboarding about, I don't know, quarter mile, mile away from my house to meet Jason and another woman from our church. And I, Norway gets a little crazy with their drivers, they don't really pay attention. So I got into the sidewalk, and the back wheels caught, you know, a crack <laughs> in the sidewalk, and my whole body flies forward, and now I have scratches on my hands, and my knee is bleeding, and my whole body hurts. But we are here with Renee, who just gave me these pills. <laughs> and, that, and that feels better. <laughs> Renee is pastor of... What's it technically called? Cincinnati Mennonite Fellowship. Cincinnati Mennonite Fellowship. It is literally a block away from my house. A block away from the rest, uh, the coffee shop we own. Red Tree. Red Tree or Gallery Gilbert Show. You can go and work every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, in the same neighborhood that our church is in. And Renee's been a good... Renee's cool. You've been a good partner with us, and you've actually helped me... Realize a, a long-standing vision I've had that churches can, in fact, work together across denominational lines. That there are things that we can do together because that's—I mm-hmm. don't know if you found it. I found it's very difficult to get churches to cooperate on things that they're also territorial and pissy about their territorialness. That sometimes even I would get to both find final to ourselves. Have you found? Like, do you think that's true? Um, I guess I don't have a lot of experience. Okay, so yeah. I think it is, I mean, there are a lot of walls, just just that we have our ways of doing things. Right. And if you want to come and join us, that's great, but right. We're not giving the idea anything. of, like, giving over some creative or some control of the situation is hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, that was one of the things N.T. Wright said when we saw him speak the, a couple weeks ago was, um, somebody asked him, well, what do you think the biggest issues in the American church are? And then one of his big ones is the lack of unity. He said, uh, he's like, we don't do it great in the UK. He's like, but at least we all know because there's bishops and there's other things mm-hmm. that at least gives us the mental picture that we're supposed to be unified. So at least we know that's a place we're going. He's like, but you guys don't even know. You guys are all doing everything on your own. You don't do anything together. And as a movement of Christianity, the church fails when it's apart. And so that's why I've liked, so we've done a couple things with you. Which we're always into doing for now until forever. Until you guys are like, yeah, don't You've inherited us until you um, tell us to go away. And <laughs> My congregation's excited about that. And another church, um, and the pastor Paulette, she actually just retired from there. Uh, so hopefully this new person. Oh, will we, will we have to, I didn't think about that. We've got to get in with this new guy. Um, but like, what I found out is that most people like, it's cute to get together for lunches and stuff, but people don't really want to share ministry together or do ministry together. We actually had a guy who was on our podcast at one point who's going to start a church in Oakley and we asked him, hey, do you want to come here? And this is sort of like, well, what's what's the point? What's that? like? What do you what's mean? the vision behind what's us the, meeting? And I was like, like can't we just all get together on Team Jesus? And yeah. it's rare that I'm naive. And I guess in one mm-hmm. of these areas, this is an area where I'm naive on. Because I just, I mean, I also don't have a lot of pride in anything, really. I'm, I'm not a pride. I, I don't Think, oh, this is our thing, or this is my. Yeah. I do get that with Crossroads a little bit when they stole some of our things, <laughs> but other than that, um, no, I don't really. I mean, I think it's all good, I guess. So, what would you? So, what is? So, I think that the first time I heard Mennonite, I always connect Mennonite with old ladies cutting off chickens' heads. Well, no. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I thought. I'm serious. Man, that's, that's specific. <laughs> the, uh, the church I grew up in, we uh, the the Sunday school room. You look out, and there was a Mennonite. There's three ladies. They had the white bonnets and the black long uh, dresses, and they raised sheep and chickens because we'd always run over there and pet the sheep. And on Sunday mornings, they would gather the chickens, and we'd watch them cut their heads off. And, you know, make chicken, but so, food, whatever. So what's the... Like, I think I, I Mennonite and Amish, and that sort of... 
that wing of the church, but you guys aren't really connected. But that that's just me connecting things that aren't really connected to my brain, right? Well, we're connected. So Mennonites, um, like, so I'm a pastor in Mennonite Church. Or uh, let's see. Mennonite Church USA, sorry. Right. Um, and there's also, so the the women you're talking about across the street from, I'm imagining were probably conservative conference. Mm-hmm. And no, there were USA. I mean, it's in the U.S., but um, there are Mennonites all over the world, but they're conservative conference. I don't know, and I don't know what their official, like, name is yeah. other than conservative conference. There's also BG Amish. There's, there's like... There's so one of the so Anabaptism Mennonites can came on the stream of Anabaptism. Reformation happens, and there's like this Counter Reformation, and then a lot of it was about well, we didn't quite get it right. Like we see like a real true vision here, and the shadow side of that is like this purity idea that we have to get it right, and so mm-hmm. the whole like how do we do church together unity thing is. Difficult. There's a, it's, it's, it's difficult, and yeah. so there's a lot, there's been a lot of fragmenting yep. that's happened within the stream of Anabaptism. So there are all these denominations, um, so that are connected, like historically and somewhat theoretically, but not in practice. Anabaptism is European. They start in Europe, right? French. Is that right? Switzerland. No, Switzerland. like the Zurich, the, the the you know the Reformation. The, yeah. Yeah, I remember learning about it in school, but I don't remember. So mm-hmm. what? Is the Anabaptist stance, and I'm only asking too because there's another podcast mm-hmm. I listened to, a guy that we met at some conference. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to his podcast, and mm-hmm. they he uses the word Anabaptist all the time. Yeah. Like, oh well, that's Anabaptist, and I'm like, I don't know what, what does that, that mean? Means. I yeah. forgot. What does it mean? Most Anabaptist. So it means rebaptizer, and it would have it would have been a um, like not a good. It would be a bad name or a slur mm-hmm. um, because so when Luther started tried to do the whole. Um, not, what's the word? Um, Reformation. Well, the Reformation happened, but he wasn't trying to start a new right. church, but he was trying to reform. He was yeah. trying to do, so the reform, so Reformation, he was trying to reform the church. It ended up being a break. But so the the, the students and the, the priests and the people who were kind of, there was a group that was also sort of in that milieu who was, who were studying with similar people and having similar conversations. And, and they felt really strongly that it needed to be the separation of um, church and state needed to happen. That mm-hmm. identity shouldn't happen through, or like sh- your personhood shouldn't happen through the state mm-hmm. citizenship, because baptism, your baptism was your citizenship. Mm-hmm. So, and that baptism was something that should be chosen. Right. That was the, the whole. So yeah. it's rebat. So then they like what ha- it was this really political movement because they began rebat like baptizing each other, mm-hmm. which was illegal and people were killed for it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there were I mean like Anabaptists were martyred at really high rates early on. So then but the irony kept, kept attracting people right, too, which right. is kind of like the early church. Isn't yeah. the irony behind every mm-hmm. Especially like Protestant new movement is that mm-hmm. everybody's roots there's something like great even the restoration like the history that I was from you know when their battle cries were we have no creed but Christ or uh, we're not the only Christians we're just Christians only and like those are great but mm-hmm. now you look at everything a hundred years later a hundred years mm-hmm. removed. And we're certainly uh, identified by the state again, or we certainly mm-hmm. find our identity in our politicalness and things, not in mm-hmm. Jesus and baptism only. Or you know, certainly uh, people think, oh, we are the only Christians. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I mean, that my my church that I grew up in, they they would have said they are mm-hmm. the only Christians. Like everyone else is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Baptists were like sort of okay, but everyone else was like really wrong, um, especially Pentecostals. Have you seen, if you go down... That's what, I, that's what I was raised with. I was like, I don't think this is right. If you go drive down Madison Road here, there's a Lutheran church in Madisonville. Mm-hmm. And since it's, this is the 500th year, 500th anniversary yeah. of the Reformation, mm-hmm. they've got a like an LED sign that changes like the garage sale and sign up for preschool. Mm-hmm. But then one of the things always says, Lutheranism, uh, nailing the truth for 500 years. I'm like, ha, that's witty. That's funny, but they're super into that. It's one, it's one of those. You know, I was I always took that to like Jesus. The other time, I like no, no, they don't don't have the the truth to the the doors. Yeah, I thought we should go around and 
I've, I've always wanted to do like in my own 9 to 5 thesis like even in my own church Dude, that would like, be to a go great... first to door when people come in and do something I think it would be fun like that it would that. be a great art installation to go around to all the churches and judge them and write 99 problems here at each church and like nail it to their door or crossroads like use tape <laughs> don't think you can nail anything there <laughs> Renee wants nothing to do with any of our, <laughs> any of our plants right now. Yes. I'm like, no, we should write 99 things that they're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what the, you know, I, I get, the, I have a voice no, too. So <laughs> um, art installations, man. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyways, so then Mennonite now, mm-hmm. because when I met Joel, who was the pastor before you were here, he was the one who redefined it for me. Because I really always thought of Mennonite like, exactly how Jason defined mm-hmm. it earlier. And I met him. He's got like gauged earrings, and he's all cool. And I was like, "You're at the Mennonite Church." I was like, "Everyone, everyone's coming." You on. guys aren't in anti-technology. Everything like normal. You wouldn't. It'd be difficult to distinguish you guys from right. the normal population. Whereas, like my family, who lives in Amish country, right. the Amish are very much distinguished from their normal culture, right. the culture around them. So I mean, so uh, this it gets tricky because, um, so. So Anabaptists become Mennonites by one of the leaders that was from the Netherlands. His name was Menno Simons, and that's where the name comes from. So there, there were these different groups. There was Switzerland, and there was these different migration patterns because they were fleeing for their lives because they were, you know, doing things that were against the law. Um, and also many of them refusing to fight in militias because they took peacemaking pretty seriously. Not all of them. Some of them. There were some, there were some other versions. So there were these different branches, and there were these Mennonites that went to Russia and, sing, and were given land there, as many other sort of like uh, groups were. Um, it, but my so my experience, my family experience of Mennonites um, would have been from Switzerland to the U.S. to like so Pennsylvania. Your whole family has always been Mennonite. Yep. Whoa, that's and, awesome. And at some point, and I get a little bit confused here, but. I'll, there are many generations that they would have been Amish because the Amish were essentially like a branch that, mm. that kind of right. like one version of this, right? That were following a particular. That's branch. really cool. So, I mean, I'm not Amish. I don't know how to farm. I use. <laughs> I drive a car. I have an iPhone. You know, but I have great, great, great grandparents that would have been Amish yeah. on like a lot of sides of my family, and um, the so they went to they went to the. Pennsylvania and the land was getting too expensive, so they went they went to um, Ohio and like farmed like made farmland out of what wasn't farmland. You know, obviously taking land. There's just some very clear ethical questions about that, and <laughs> it's just there for free. Yeah, well, that's the story, right? But it clearly wasn't, and so my inheritance. Is, if we can get these savages off the land, it's free, you know. Right. So they, you know, domesticated the land, and I'd, I'd like to learn more about who Is that was like there. Southeast Ohio? Um, was, was Liberty Urbana, Springfield, okay. Ohio? So north, like, central, north, like East Central Ohio. Yeah. So my family's from Gallipolis, Ohio, which is southeastern, like, tobacco country. Okay. Down near um, Charleston, Virginia. Okay. But there's a gigantic Amish population there as well. And I'm, yeah, I'm not, yeah. So the whole community was Amish at that point. And at some point, a couple of gender, uh, about 130, uh, 1890s maybe, they, the whole community became Mennonite. And like, there are, it's a little tiny town. There are like, there are several Mennonite churches. The whole thing just went from, wow. yeah. And now, is that a very unique story within Mennonite people that you know? Uh, that their whole they could trace their whole family religious history, or is that more common? Yeah. So, I mean, this is I think one of the tensions, right? I can say that, but it doesn't for me. It's also really important that I not ever make like being Mennonite about that family li- right. family heritage, even and even though that's my story. Right. It's cool. So, it's real cool. Yeah. Oh man, look, my because I, I, I guess I. So being from a non-denominational mm-hmm. background, I don't see denominations anyway. So I just hear, oh man, my family has always been in the faith, and they still are in the same faith. Right. It's cool. I don't really know anything else about denominations. Well, so one of the so the insider outsider problem thing is always the problem, right? Because I mean, it's, and I think particularly for Mennonites who come from this tradition of like you declare yourself to be in. Mm-hmm. It, it shouldn't be that you're in until you declare yourself out. Mm-hmm. But functionally, it ends up. 
you know, I mean, that's just how culture ends up right, working, right, right. right? You're there till you choose to leave, or you're there till the community kind of deems right. you an outsider. I mean, that's just how we work. But so, so, so the problem being that, like, I can trace my roots or whatever, and I can I, I can be in because of where I'm from, and that I have the right names, and mm-hmm. that I'm connected in that way, and, and I'm a pastor and a minister of a tradition that I'm very much about, right. like... You're like a pure blood wizard from Harry Potter. Yeah. You're not in my blood or anything like that. Well, we were joking about this. <laughs> we were joking about that today because we don't have membership, mm-hmm. like, in a local context for our particular denomination. Yeah. If you leave our church, mm-hmm. the only person who knows you left is you. Now, Justin and I might know because we hopefully we've done a good job of pastoring and following right. up and seeing what's wrong and those mm-hmm. kind of things. But sometimes mm-hmm. people will leave, and there's one person in particular I can think of that probably would rather come back, but feels like, oh, everybody knows I left the church. Like, Nobody knows, like because we don't. We're not talking about you behind your back. We're not telling people yeah. your story, or whatever. And so it's an interesting because we've really wrestled with what it means to be insider versus outsider. Because mm-hmm. right? my seminary taught on this a lot. They're from like an assimilation standpoint. Like how do you fold people into the group? How do you entertain? How do you know who's in? How do you know who's out? And um, mm-hmm. I think it's a weird thing. But we talk about membership. Our leadership team talks about membership. People in our church talk about being members here. And I'm like, right. so if I let's say like I started coming to church, I was yeah. not a believer. Mm-hmm. Man, I love this community. I love you guys. Mm-hmm. I become a believer. Do I then become Mennonite, or am I just Christian, or like how does it work? I mean, I'm going to just ask you because I don't know. Like, so if I if I came to your church, like how would I? What happens next? I'm like, hey, Renee, I dug this message. I feel mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. I want to. So you marry? You want to be a part of it? <laughs> yeah. So because so you're saying, are you saying that you yeah, you're you already be, like you're already a, you've already made a so I would Mennonites tend to use discipleship language. Okay, yeah, I, let's hear. I don't know. I mean, or maybe that's just what I'm comfortable with, I'm sure. So, if you're talking, are you talking like you'd already been a part of a faith community? No, no, point? never before. Never. Like, Brand this is new, new. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, okay, this Jesus thing. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Like, I'm here, I'm in, I want in. So, right. then we do some sort of um, baptism preparation. We have to use the word catechism at this point. Mm. You know, it gets just hearkening back to the early church, right, right. which traditionally would be three years, but we don't usually do three years. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> so it's more like six three weeks. Years. <laughs> three years. Three years and then baptize on Easter Sunday. Yeah. Wow. What do you do for three years? Studying. At the end of the day, because you're I mean, I guess it makes a hardcore uh, well, disciple. And it was, again, <laughs> illegal. And oh, right. Yeah, I mean, they wanted to make sure you were really in. Because you might get killed for this. Yeah. At the end of the day, part of it's protecting you. You might yeah. die for this. You need to make sure you're in. It's like signing up for the resistance against the Terminators, man. You gotta be for real. Without a gun. And we gotta make sure you're <laughs> because not. Because again, the early church was not using. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, so but we, do you become a Mennonite or do you just become a Christian? Yes. <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah. I mean, because I, I would we, say like, when I was did a stent at the Presbyterian Church with them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I guess we're Presbyterian, but no one really cared. Outside yeah. the, the leadership, obviously did, but like the people I met, oh, we're all just Christians. We're all the same. Oh, I go to a Presbyterian okay. church. Sure, I guess we're Presbyterian, but it didn't seem that that was a term that was important. I think it's a generational shift. At that church, there's a generational yeah. shift that's happening. Where mm-hmm. and I think this is true across the board. Our parents very much care about the denominational boundaries yeah. and language as the culture becomes less because post Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to be able to work together with my Mennonite friends and my Lutheran I, I friends. I still see that, yeah, because if someone asks me, if like, oh, if you, uh-huh. you you can join a church, you have to be Wesleyan. I'm like, all right, sure, I'll be Wesleyan. It doesn't mean anything to me. Because right. I just But it would be your so it would, and it would, I mean, what you would get if you, if you came to Cincinnati Mennonite Fellowship, you would get catechism from me, and if, if, hopefully there'd be a group of some sort. We try to make it a community experience. What do you do in this catechism? I haven't done it here, so. no. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I usually try to meet people where they're at, right. and so we start with some basic history of this is how this particular form of following Jesus has come to be in the world, and right. so some basic history, and then I do a lot of like, what are your questions? Like, what are your growing edges? What are your challenges? Mm-hmm. And then we find ways to explore those. But that's just I'm also just, that's awesome. That's kind of who I am. So right, I, try, right. I try to meet people where that's they are. Cool. So you don't have a your denomination doesn't prescribe. We, I mean, there, we, there are resources that could be used. I but don't, they don't, like, there's not mandatory. No, there's a lot through. of, so we're very pretty congregational. Yeah. There's a lot of congregational autonomy. There there are ideas out there. There are things. Sure. 
So it's not, no, it's not prescribed. There's not, like, a bunch of, there's it's, not things to check off. I think you're seeing, even, like, we're so highly organized groups like mm-hmm. Baptists or mm-hmm. Presbyterians or Anglicans, you're starting to see this decentralization where local control mm-hmm. of local church body. Because the Catholic Church figured this out a long time ago. If you go look where the Catholic Church is growing leaps and bounds, it's in southern hemispheres mm-hmm. where they were given the priests gigantic amounts of leeway to adapt to local culture. So, so Day of the Dead's the easy one. Oh, you celebrate Day of the Dead? Yeah, yeah, we could still have that festival. Let's add some Catholic tinges to that. Let's mm-hmm. let's reappropriate. Let's redirect mm-hmm. that with some Catholicism into it. And the Catholic Church started mm-hmm. noticing that the Catholic Church, where it was rigid, was dying, mm-hmm. and where it was open to local culture and local expression, it was thriving. And that's right. still today true. But then you find like the more conservative, like go into some of the bigger Catholic churches in America today, they are absolutely rigid. And, these people that are still like they're, they're furious and Francis and and so like it's it's an interesting thing where rigidity leads to stagnation or rigidity mm-hmm. like an inability to be flexible or yeah. to move to be people like you said where they are. Well, and moving the conversation even back to working together with churches as soon as you were saying that because part of me must be like oh man. A, because of the experience we've had with you and other churches here, like, it's so easy. Why wouldn't you do it? But then I started like picturing in my head people and churches who have the same Jesus in common, but they interpret it way differently. I'm like, I don't want to do anything with you. And that's something, oh, that's wrong too. And it's interesting just the whole, as I think about all the different divisions and as you drive down the street and you see 10 different churches that all have like Bethlehem Methodist, Anglican, 17 names, whatever, or, you know, or even ours that has nothing, the bludgeon community, what's that mean? And, uh, it's, it's very interesting and kind of sad. And there is a part of me that feels like, oh my goodness, we're, spend- we're all spending all this time recreating like very similar things, right? And it feels redundant and like a lack of, or we could use our resources in a better way if we were pooling more. And I also feel like story is really, I mean, story. We know, like we're, yeah. we pedal our our, our where's our story, right? right. And that's. Um, and and the story of a denom- the story of each of those congregations isn't. I mean, it is a story of separation, but it's also a story of a particular group, a particular right. um, history, a particular people who've come together and been formed like all by these story. Pictures here. Yeah, and we're sitting in the church office, and there's there's pictures from the beginning of the church. This is a 40, 43 right. year old church, and which isn't very old in the well, big scheme of things. I, I, I like the, that. I think the struggle in that is how do you? I think the struggle in that is the same struggle we find in other yeah. cultures. How do you embrace diversity? Are everybody sort of differences? While at the same time being on on one mission, yeah. and it's it's sort of it's been a battle cry for us. And that like I my example would be I have a I have a, a relative who's a, has really struggled with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Jesus isn't calling him into bar ministry. Mm-hmm. Jesus isn't calling mm-hmm. him to go hang out because he just that, that, he doesn't function there. I do fine in bars, and so like that it that doesn't mean there's different Jesuses or that we even interpret Jesus. It means that Jesus is called us to different places. And so the Mennonite Church has a particular expression mm-hmm. of worship and community and congregation and all these kind of things that are all good and righteous and the stuff that we want followers Jesus to do that doesn't mean that legend isn't or that the Baptists aren't um, I mean we might not we, right? we, we, let's <laughs> not. the flip side of that though is there's lots of churches yeah. that won't give you that same grace that they won't give you grace to be mm-hmm. to pursue the call that God's given to you because they want everything sort of homogenous right. Right. and that's my, my frustration with young church planters right now they've all inserted themselves into the role of the Apostle Paul where it's their job to correct all the other churches and I'm not that I don't have that in my own sort right. of angst and those kind of things, but that's why we pulled out of some of those partnerships. It's like, mm-hmm. eh. mm-hmm. I was tired of getting treated like a non-pastor by them. Are there lots yeah. of female mm-hmm. pastors in Mennonite tradition? I would be kind of a second generation of where, when I went to seminary, there were more women in seminary than oh, men. Where did seminary? Um, well, I went to Associated Mennonite Biblical Seminary, which is now Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary. Mm, where's that? It's in Elkhart, Indiana. Northern Indiana. Nice. Did you, do you do undergrad there, or is that graduate school? That's graduate school. Where did you do undergrad at? Um, I went to a Mennonite college. Okay. So would your goal always be a Mennonite pastor? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I went to a Mennonite college. It's just down the road from where I went to seminary, Goshen College. Um, oh, Goshen. Small liberal arts college. I know Goshen. Yeah. But I, and I grew up in a community that was where my brother and I were the only people who knew where Mennonites really were mm. in high school. And so, like, I went to both of these 
schools with nine years in between, but I've also spent a lot of time very much outside of a world where I've done a lot of explaining what Mennonites are. <laughs> yeah. What is it about that that keeps you coming, like that keeps you grounded in that? Because mm. I abandoned my denominational yeah. roots. Like, what is it that made mm. you decide to stay? This is the thing that I really appreciate about this movement. That's a good question. <laughs> it's probably a harder question as a leader of the movement now than maybe it would have been if you were just a member of the movement as well. Right? I think it was easier in my 20s to answer that question. Yeah. I was really wrestling with, am I going to stay? But it wasn't so much, am I going to stay in Mennonites? Like, am I going to stay in this whole faith tradition mm. thing? Um, because it wasn't, you know, that point where I was really wrestling with, sure. the, like, we do all these really, we've done these really destructive, horrible things, mm-hmm. and we will continue to do really mm-hmm. hurtful things, even as we proclaim that we're about healing and hope right. and restoration. And clearly, <laughs> there are moments where that's happening, and there are a lot of places where that's not happening. So I think a lot of it's about story, mm-hmm. what I said earlier, um, and that there are enough stories of um, people who've there's something about me there's something in me that's really drawn to a story too of people who've chosen integrity even when it put themselves at risk Mm. Um, not that I really want to put myself at risk as well I mean that's its own tension right but I have a lot of respect for that and for for um, yeah is do you, it doesn't sound and I've never heard this from you, but that may just because we haven't talked about it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like you're saying, okay, I've taken this. This is the theological truth, like this mm-hmm. this particular theological explanation of God and what God wants and who God is and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem to be as much of the draw for you. Like you're not you're not a mm-hmm. battle theology person. You're not battling people in their theology standpoints. Is I'm not. Right? I probably was more in my 30s. But you than I am now. don't like particular authors and stuff, though, right? There are for people, theological reasons? Like, so, because you don't like Inti Wright, right? I don't. He's not listening to this podcast, I promise. I, know. <laughs> I don't, like, I don't have a lot against him. I just, I'm not really drawn to him. He doesn't and then really. You don't like, and you don't like Rob Bell? Who? Rob Bell. I'm like, the only I one I know who likes Rob Bell still. Everyone else is, like, over him. Yeah. Like, but, his stuff, I mean, he does a good job of telling right. a story. Yeah, right. yeah, right. I think my, my bigger, I think my thing with that's hard for me about Rob Bell is it's it's so much about Rob Bell. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's uh, how it gets packaged. I don't know. I have a hard time with big personalities. Uh, and that's just that's me. That's you know, like I'm like, get yourself out of there. It's not about you. That makes but sense. if it's doing some good then But it's not like theology driven. Okay, no. I, I mean I have like I love systematic theology. I, as, as a seminary student, that was my favorite class. And oh, I can, that was like my least favorite class. Yeah, I, like, I actively hate it. I, actively, I actively, like, this is killing but me. But that's not where I am now. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think I'm much more at a place of practical theology. Yes. And I'm much more at a place of like, okay, how can these stories like bring us together? How can these yeah. stories move us forward? How can I meet people where they're at? Mm. Much more at a place of, okay, so I'm about this like... Jesus says good news that means like shalom, like wholeness. And how do what is it what are the practices that are actually gonna move us toward that mm-hmm. instead of just saying the words? Like so the spiritual formation things. What are, what are the what are the yeah. yeah. And and I mean where I can get kind of up in arms theologically is about um, where theology feels like for in my experience has been really destructive. Yeah. Yeah. So for me I have a hard time with theology of uh, like blood saving like Jesus as blood saving I have a hard time with that like, a hard, like sacrificial atonement theology yeah thank stuff. you sorry I can come up with the word that's no, what I'm asking about and the words don't always come right when it when they should but sacrificial atonement theology I know it has its place and it has worked it's important for people I think it's yeah. even important for you or it could be um, I've, it's been interesting because I probably was way more important than it used to be when that's the but idea now my thing that is to keep it contextualized mm-hmm. inside in the hands of, of the God sort of deal yeah just the idea of, like so I think atonement theology since particularly the Reformation rises to this central place where the only thing Jesus did was to die to make an angry God not angry with you right right Right. Which is a way out of balance, and for fifteen hundred years, the church would know nothing of that. The church would be like, "What are you talking about?" But even walk, and you've watched the passions get held up in American mm-hmm. culture. Even even a guy like Billy Graham, who was gentle and a good public speaker and a good man who loved Jesus, still had at his base 
you've got to confess and repent today so that you do not go to hell because God is furious at you. Yeah. Right? That's still yeah, the basis of a lot of theolo- American theology. Yeah. And I read, actually, and it was, it was N.T. Wright, but his big thing about like re-putting that into the context of the scripture and the church historical, mm-hmm. he said, because this, he said, it's clearly there in the scripture. Yeah, the, the idea is prevalent, especially as a group of Jewish people is adapting their beliefs where sacrifice was so important, for mm-hmm. the first, especially for the first 70 years where they're still Jewish. Um, but it's gotten out of whack. And we could trace the historical development of why it got out of whack as what we talked about earlier, as cultural creep comes in. And so, so to find... Um, 15th and 14th century feudal warlords writing about sacrifice and an angry overlord tenant god keeping the peasants in line. Well, that's what they were, right? So their their god reflected their culture. Right. So for me, one of the really important turning points in that, and the conversation, theological turning points was um, doing that work around, well, how do I make sense out of Jesus' death and resurrection, which it's called atonement. We talk about it as atonement, but so for me, it needs to be about um, if I get to. Ch- is there agency? Is is there some sort of a, like purposeful, clear giving over of power mm. that's that's happening when we talk about servant? Like Mennonites use a lot of servant language. Mm. That's fine, I mean, and it's all connected here with how we make sense of Jesus's death. Right. Life. I mean, men are really big on the life part. Mm-hmm. As many as many other people are too. We don't have the corner on that. But then, because 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 a lot of theology has been done by men who did have agency. I think it was just implied and it was understood. And so, a lot of damage has been done to those who don't have agency, um, whether they are women or you know, in the time of slavery or whether they were, you know, the, the gradations of power in a system. Um, mm. it, but really taking that seriously. It's been our, not, and we don't tend to think in giant theological terms like that. We're very practical theology, mm-hmm. just in the day-to-day life that we do. But it's been our sort of like, a, coming up on 10 years now as a church, oh, where have we thrown the baby out with the bathwater? Mm-hmm. So we don't want to be angry church God hates you, so God himself comes in the form of a son, but it's really so God, mm-hmm. and he kills himself so that he himself won't have to kill you. Like, Because even then, when you try to tell a story, it gets convoluted. Because it's bad theology. But, but okay, so we're not that, but what are we, and how do we articulate that, and define it, and think mm-hmm. about it, and mm-hmm. and give a place for people who are thinking about it in different ways than we are. So, mm-hmm. so if you come and you think that Communion is the literal body and blood of Jesus, transubstantial kind of thing. It's cool. You can still well, you can still worship with us. Mm-hmm. I might think you're crazy, but I'm but I'm just as crazy or as wrong about other things. So, I've, what I don't want to do is I don't ever want to shy. I don't want to cower away from those difficult questions. I want to engage those mm-hmm. like forcefully and artfully and well and like deeply, but also keep them in their proper context. Like this is good. This is things we could sit around the family and talk about. We probably don't need to have these conversations in front of people that are part of the family. Yeah, I, I like it too. What, mm-hmm. like with yeah. Mennonites, what's the deal with hell? Like, who goes? <laughs> I like this question. I actually got to ask the rabbi this last last time we talked. Is because it's there's some of the things I've you know as I was I mean I've been in the church since I was born, and the things I've probably wrestled with the most as I've gotten older and studied more is. Things like evangelism, sin, and hell, those three in particular. So I, I just, I'm always curious on who people think are going to hell. <laughs> but, so anyways, who do you think is going to hell? Renee, besides <laughs> us, obviously. <laughs> you can say whatever. We have this self-effacing thing I know, that I has know, to play out in everything we say. I know, I know. You know, I haven't spent a lot of time. I'm just going to be honest. But I, mean, that, I, I didn't think that. That's pretty awesome. I don't hell. feel like you should probably process in who's going. But, like, is there, like, hey, if you don't have Jesus, you're probably yeah. not going to... Is there a fiery torment or is there a nothingness? Like, I'm just interested in what you really think, not even right. what Mennonites would say. Because I can't think. answer for Mennonites. Yeah, yeah, who cares? What, what do you think? I think that I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm going to be honest, yeah. um, I... I have a lot of um, respect for other faith traditions and or yeah and there's no way I'm going to read the Bible my my New Testament and not and see all of all of Judaism 
um, all of those folks go to hell. So that doesn't, like, right there, the door's open, right? And I have a pretty, I don't know if the word's universalist, but I have a pretty wide gate. Mm-hmm. Like, there are narrow gate scriptures, and there are wide gate scriptures. Right. And I, whenever, if I feel like I have to choose, and I also try to be pretty... Like, yeah, why would really you not prefer... choose that one? I mean, the, I think we said in the last one, there's a quote yeah. where, shouldn't we live as if we hope everyone is going to be there? Like, Which is God's yeah. Like Paul says, God desires everyone to be saved. Right. right. God desires everyone to be saved, and I do not know the mind of God. I do not know the fullness of God. I sometimes act like I do, I'm sure, in my self-righteousness, but... Do you know who said that exact thing? Rob Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm, like, super Rob Bell. I just think it's funny when... I, I'm, I'm always interested when people don't like something more than I'm interested when people like something, because I always want to know, oh, why don't they? Just because I think it's more fun. It, it gets it. what's the barrier, yeah. and what's the judgment. Yeah. I mean, because I'm full of judgment, right? Like, even if I'm trying not to be... So, in a non-dualistic thinking kind of way, is there is it possible for there to be a narrow gate and a wide gate, like a narrow gate for or a narrow path for disciples and those who are really trying to follow Jesus and who are being shaped? And they get there like, whoa, there was a wide gate. Ah, <laughs> oh, I, I didn't have the Shawshank Redemption my way into this place. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Man, it's too much work. There was a wide gate. What well, my. The, I would hope that there would also be a fuller life and depth of experience. Well, that's my, my dad. You didn't have to use the gate. It was yeah. my dad, who's not super theology guy. My dad's the day labor construction worker guy. He's not a deep Jesus thinker in terms of mm-hmm. time. But he got a lot of grief from friends of his when he started going back to church. And finally, he was like, "What have I given up?" Right. Like at the end of the day, if if I'm if I'm called to be nicer to people, if I'm called to respect people and treat people well and do these kind of things. And it turns out there's nothing. I haven't lost anything, right? Nothing's lost. But if it turns out that there is something, and God's called me to live in a specific way, not that He does it all the time, but I've actually I've moved towards what's right and towards what's whole and in line with creation mm-hmm. more than my friends have. And so the narrow gate may in fact be that there is a right way. There is a particular way that's that's life giving. It's fulfilling. And then there's a way that's not, and the people that are not in that sort of narrow path are struggling in an entirely different way than people. The way the vineyard used to describe it is that the, the, the life of God is a flow, swift-flowing river, right. and it's very difficult to cross the stream. And life becomes very much easier when you go with the stream. And so that, that's, that's how they use that as an expression of worship. And, and I don't tend to think it, but lately, those things I've experienced, uh, even going home and experiencing like hanging out with my sister for a little bit, I was like, I think you really live in hell. Like, I think she lives in hell. Like, whatever, when I talked to her about her lifestyle, I'm like, this has got to be, the, just, yeah. <laughs> this is the worst possible way. Yeah, see, it's worst stuff, right? Yeah, and I don't know, you know, I'm not hardcore into that, like, hell is here, whatever, other than, like, I can't, anything's got to be better than the way that yeah. your everyday life of being so stressed and so hard um, so, yeah, I, I always find that interesting, too. Cause, um, it's, funny, it's interesting because Rob Bell wrote his hell book mm-hmm. when I was in seminary. So my seminary exploded with controversy. We got a trained pastor. Did you read it? I was like, oh, there's a book. <laughs> it wasn't really on my radar. Well, I knew no, that it came out. Yeah. I knew that it came out. So we out. had that classes. I had trained forgotten pastors to respond yeah. to, this, to this heresy coming up. And then I read the book, and I was like, there's, there's not even anything of substance here. Like... That, that would actually be my critique of Rob Bell is he never he, – what he says, he says very well. And he, pre, he presents well. He, mm-hmm. He's artistic and he's right. creative. But never – a lot there. Never have I seen him say anything that I was like, oh, I have to re – I have to really rethink and wrestle with this concept now. Like could you, mm-hmm. you advanced a new thought. Because he's – everything he's reading, he's reading the same things. He's reading right. the right. those right. historical it's, Jesus guys. And, it's pastoral care. It's pastoral yeah. care preaching, which yeah. really is what – 90-something percent of people need. Right, right, That's right. That's people where they're yeah. at, which I think is yeah. essential. Well, it was a good... I think it was a good reminder to a lot of us that creativity matters in your presentation. Right. And his ability to tell to tell the old story in new ways is really thoughtful and helpful. Yeah. Um, but but I'd, I'd raise the same knock on C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis never said an original thing right. in his life, but he said old things really, really well. And... He coalesced a gigantic realm of sources. Lewis could pull from a giant variety of sources articulately. Yeah. 
in a way. Well, and I think Rob Bell has a, and I, I mean, I, again, I really don't care that much about Rob Bell, but I, I mean, I, talk about I know <laughs> apparently today I really like him a lot, but um, but he has a voice with people that I don't think most people will ever get a voice with, yeah. uh, whether it's non-believers, but mainly because he's become you know. He gave up being a big shot pastor, but he's become a big shot celebrity. Right. And I, you know, who cares about, but he does, I listen to podcasts where he's talking to Sarah Silverman and Pete Holmes where I'm like, and these people love him. I'm like, somehow they're loving the image of Jesus because he still represents Jesus, even though he might be a little more like everything's cool, but he's still like, man, I subscribe to Jesus. So I'm like, man, Sarah Silverman gets to hang out with this dude who talks about Jesus a lot and she respects him and... That's cool. I, I like. Yeah. That's what I like. And so for that, I'll always listen over the guy who writes the book, who sits at his church and never really interacts with people as much. Like, yeah, because that's, that's that's priority. Right. Just being out there and actually being in it. Right. Just a guy on our leadership team said this a couple months ago, and it's stuck. Just stay in your lane. Just know what it is that you're supposed to be doing, where you're supposed to be doing, and be really, really content with that. And right. then, because so I, Rob Bell will never have to answer to me for anything. Yeah. I want him to be my best friend, though. I do. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> he seems to be really cool, man. <laughs> so, if you're listening to this, I, we can be best friends. I'm to circle back to the whole question. <laughs> Sorry. Did you say... Oh, were you thinking about is, it the whole time? Oh, yeah. That's good. Okay, so, or it wasn't the whole time, but... I mean, you... you Jason, you said um, something about the restoration of creation, and... To me, like what I'm more, what I feel myself drawn to thinking about, like staying my, if I'm going to stay in my lane, mm-hmm. I don't, maybe there'll be a point where I really need to wrestle with hell. It yeah. doesn't feel like it would yeah. be sort of I, because I feel like I need to like checking off a box right. right now. The things I wrestle with and feel really drawn to, like trying to ex- to exploring and integrating, are like what is the ki- like the kingdom of we pray the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. So. And, and to me, it's about, like, the kingdom of God is coming. It's the kingdom of God coming that's here and not here. And um, heaven is not, like, another worldly construct, but yeah. as a coming on earth. And, and it's for all of creation. It's this yeah. whole restoration project, which I, which I heard in your language. You sure you don't read N.T. right Because you just quoted it. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think part of it is. So, like, you were asking me, like... So when I when I was um, went through the ordination process, one of the things I needed to do was write this big. Was one of the things I was asked to do was write a list of books that I've been reading, mm-hmm. and I took it seriously and I did it, and it was really fun. And you didn't make like up a bunch of books. I just was there any like books. fiction books on there, like Harry Potter? I read it. <laughs> I only first I, I just read my first Harry Potter book Ooh. this year. Did you love it? Well, I was convinced by under thirty seminar or um, Mennonite colleagues. I did love that. I read it with my son. He loved it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Not yeah, to digress. So, and I'm not against Harry Potter. I just didn't anyway. Now down. you're against Harry Potter. <laughs> so you heard it here. First Rob Bell. Now Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling. Okay. We're coming after you. <laughs> no, sorry. Um, this one so, what, what <laughs> so you made a list of books. I read, so I read into you right in the seminary. Ooh, what book? It's fine. I don't, I don't know. It was a polytheology class. I don't remember. What's Harry Potter really said? That was his easy book. No, it was like... Oh, yes. That's probably... Well, that one just came out. Oh. That, probably, that didn't come out when you were in seminary. No, it was... Like, I like my NT. His Paul book. Oh, his Paul book. Yes, it, it was his Paul book. But it just came out two years ago. So it, this must have been another book. Yeah. We read NT right. I like my NT right like this. No, this was the, 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 the like, several tongue. inches yeah. yes. used to hold up a door, hold up in a door book. Um, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it. It just felt... Like, it didn't feel like anything, and it was clear, like, really clear language, yeah. and I'm not saying he isn't doing important yeah. work. Yeah. It just doesn't, well, it's not it, taking me where I need to go. If you're a story person, yeah. what N.T. Wright, I think, is giving you is some mm-hmm. building blocks for the story. And there, But if you're reading this, this theology books, he's not building the story. No. He's proving things against other seminarians or right. other theologians. Yeah, yeah is, I can't read that. Which is what I did for three years in seminary. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. So I have those. Like, yeah. I felt like I did a lot of that. that. Yeah. I had, and I liked it. It was good. But now, like, that doesn't, so what happens if you come out and actually pastor? And, and also, I happen to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And I happen to be a woman who cares about um, seeing the world because because I care about this question of agency and and I think that who ha- who gets to tell the story yeah. matters a lot and where mm-hmm. we do the context we do theology from matters a lot so if I want to be a person of integrity 
doing theology as a white woman of middle class woman for, who has a lot of privilege, I need to also be reading people who don't have the same privilege that's, or really social good. location than I do. Hey, unpack agency for me more because you you said that twice. Like, so you, when you're saying agency, like the the person who has the authority to to tell the story, or well, I mean, I kind of conflate it. Those are not always the same thing. I mean, a person who has the who has the voice to tell the story has some agency, right? Right. And so, in the but, church com- mm-hmm. context, um, as you deny people rights, you deny them their agency. They don't get to give themselves; you speak for them. Gotcha. And, and somebody can say, still be in that context and, and say, "I like that's maybe happening to them," and they can, and the person can still say, "Like I can still say, I'm going to the church who has this. Maybe I'm going to the." Uh, a church where I'm told what to believe, but I can choose still to have. Oh, yeah, to well, take yeah agency. that makes sense. You can always, but at what cost is the right. question. Yeah, we had a couple, uh, a gay couple that's a certain our church, mm-hmm. and they, um, yeah, they went to a place where I, I thought it was so, com- like, so amazing of the guy who was telling me. He was like, "Hey, uh, we went to a place that wasn't affirming of us, but we really liked what they did, and we liked." You know, so we would go anyways, and I was like, man, that's really awesome. But mm-hmm. it, yeah, I, I can't Okay, but so anyways, in light of that, then, um, oh, I had a question, and now I totally just lost it. Oh, anyways. I don't know, so this list, what the, the critique on my, or somebody noticed on my list of books at my ordination interview, which was three years after I graduated from seminary, they were almost all women. I was like, yeah, that's great, because I read almost all men in seminary. Yeah, right. So... Who do you like to read? <laughs> and, and now I'm good. And you're going to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been actually uh, the, probably the best thing of the last 25 yeah. or 30 years in theology is that mm-hmm. Southern theologies have emerged. Lots of different color theologies have emerged. Lots of different voices. Like, it's not just being defined by mm-hmm. upper middle class white guys in Northern Europe and North America. Well, those theologies have always been there, but we're right. seeing we're, we're getting access to them. We as in, like, white... Protestant world, um, or even even guys like mm-hmm. easy access ones, like a guy like Cornell West has been writing for years. Yeah, but those voices have started to get some traction mainstream wise, right. and then you find them, and they're so they're so encouraging and full of life, and so mm-hmm. there's new thoughts. While they're still like reading African theology, they still take things like the atonement very seriously and those yeah. kind of things. But they're also playing in the context of imperialism mm-hmm. and cultural destruction and those kind of things, and right. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're playing in that culture too. It's just where the we're the right. side of well, that. Well, and I'm asking because I, uh, you know, uh, I tried yeah. to find a mentor forever. Yeah, and like, and when I finally mm-hmm. found one, it was Mandy. Right. And her position, I was like, oh, well, mm-hmm. I kept looking at all these guys, and I just didn't process the world like they did. And and a lot of it's probably because mm-hmm. she's an artist as well. But like mm-hmm. the way she processes the world, like. Oh my gosh, this is how... And then, actually, mm-hmm. I've been reading... I was thumbing through looking for a quote from my wife. Uh, she likes Sheila Nyquist. Do you know Sheila Nyquist? I know, yeah, I know. Her and, like, I started reading one and, like, almost read the whole book in one sit because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I love the way... Like, I resonate with the way she processes the world. Mm-hmm. So then I was thinking that day, I was like, maybe I should read more Christian women. Mm-hmm. But I don't... Outside of, like, Anne yeah. Lamont and Sheila Nyquist, I don't know any... Uh, I mean, I know I don't want to read Beth Moore. No, you don't want to read. Beth. I mean, maybe you <laughs> I've only heard enough to know that I don't want to read that. But then, isn't it sad that I can only think of three? That is <laughs> so, sad. So, like, um, so I'll, I'll create a reading list for you. Oh uh, yeah, you sure? Because I really don't. Because the other day I started thinking, what, like, oh, I wonder mm-hmm. if there's more women that I should be reading from because I don't. I like I love yeah. Sheila Nyquist, and she's not really a theologian, but. She's a story she person. She processes She's the world like I process the world, which yeah. is what I like. I really, yes, I like her stuff. She come, I mean, and and she speaks to my people. But she, and there's a lot of, and this isn't like part of being in her lane is she's talking to people who have money. Mm. Like there's just a lot of money around yeah. the parameters she of that was book. Pals with Rob Bell. So it all comes back to Rob Bell. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah. Well, he's so, in Dayton today. Um, I'm trying <laughs> to. So his spirit is hovering. <laughs> <laughs> 
Men and I don't believe in that. The person who, the woman, the book that got me probably intrigued in church in a different way, in a different way, is Joyce Rupp's book. Or was it one of Joyce Rupp's book? And she, she's maybe in her 70s. Probably she's fairly old at this point. Mm-hmm. She, the book was old when I found it in my 20s. What is it? Joyce? Joyce Rupp. Rupp. R-U-P-P. Rupp? She's um, Catholic, and I can't remember what order she's a part of. She's done a lot of... Um, she's written a lot of books about... And she does a lot of retreat leading. R-H-O-B-H? R-U-P-P. Oh, okay. Well, wrong, wrong one. Um, the... Are integrating, yeah. So it's about bringing this, like, like the like the one I found was about seasons, and each of the seasons there's a chapter on each of the seasons of the of the year, and it just happened to be in like around where I was. Um, and she, it's there's poetry and there's reflection and there's some biblical, a little bit of biblical nugget. Like she's putting a little Mm -hmm. bit of theology in there, but in a really practical kind of way, and then sort of like experiential exercises. Mm So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, well, not that women are, like, there are some hardcore women theologians yeah. out there, and I, yeah. and I try to read them, too. I'm not trying to make, I do, do not want to, like, women know. are right brain and men are left brain, because that's not, yeah. I'm yeah. not, I want to perpetuate that myth, but she's, that book is what probably got me to seminary. Well, I think what happens for a lot of us, mm-hmm. maybe not for you, mm-hmm. for the, a lot of us who grew up in either evangelical or Protestant sort of mainline mm-hmm. movements, it's such a shallow well. And you could once you start drinking from mm-hmm. like and Dorothy Day is a good example right. as a Catholic writer mm-hmm. like this is this is thoughtful and deep and it's got fifteen hundred years yeah. behind it right right whereas my Protestant writing friends mm-hmm. all feel the need to reinvent the wheel starting at sixteen hundred right or it's, go early church then I mean in the Mennonite world it's like early church and then the Anabaptist movement right. And that's right. Like there's 1500 uh, years. Was, yeah, the disciples and then Alexander Campbell. Right. So that's 1700 years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because the Presbyterian Church would always at least say, because because they would point to Knox, who would point to Luther, and would point right. back. Like there was this connection. Well, we have Bonhoeffer too, isn't yeah. like? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I forget how, because I think Anglican has always looked at like Catholic light. But the yeah. Presbyterian Church, the High Presbyterian Church, can be on that train as well, yeah. and it's produced thoughtful writers. Yeah. It's also produced dudes like John Calvin who are. Mm-hmm. Monsters sometimes, right? Yeah. Like it's so, but there's this just right. once you get into this, the depth of the church world, it's where I think the church actually has a lot of strength is to be able to say, oh, in a world where in a world of transience, in a world where it resets every three to five minutes, mm-hmm. I'm really talking about a thing that has been being talked about for two thousand years yeah. by by the brightest minds Western thought ever yeah. produced. And I can be challenged and grow in this. In the same way that reading mm-hmm. Dostoevsky or reading old literature mm-hmm. gets you into a deeper stream than reading Harry Potter. Harry Potter's right. great. It's an introduction. It's an introduction. Yeah. I mean, that's to me about time, too. The, like, Kairos, Kronos time. Mm-hmm. And when we start deep, like, really opening our... When I find myself opening myself to those wells, it's, it's you know, the spirit time, the Kronos... The, um, is it Kairos? Kairos time. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I love to listen to, like, you know, like, uh, Krista Tippett started as Speaking of Faith and became on being. I listen to her on a really regular basis, and that's a really, for me, that's a deep well that opens up to other well, like, opens up doors to other places. I think it's difficult to be a pastor right now is mm-hmm. finding and maintaining time to read yeah. and think. Mm-hmm. I could fill my day with tasks and oh, people. Yeah. 80 hours a week and be and be busy and productive mm-hmm. and the church would like that but I really it's, for me personally I don't know if this is yeah. a pastor role but I like and I'm recharged by reading and learning new things it's true and so I went through and put in an hour a day that yeah. I have to spend reading mm-hmm. and sometimes it's Harry Potter sometimes yeah, it it's is going back to, to you know sort going of going to movies I put going to movies in the same way because yeah. it inspires a kind of storytelling I did that I do that. Uh, hey, you can come with us every Thursday night. Tonight, 1015 Wonder Woman. Boom. 1015 Wonder Woman. Um, no, that's why I was in this of your office space, because when I did work at a church that mm-hmm. had an office, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes I felt guilty because I was in there a lot, but then sometimes I'm like, you know what I get to do is I I have time to say, okay, now mm-hmm. I'm trying to set this hour off to read for an hour to pray. I would... I mean, the one of the pastor workers was real big on how often we prayed, mm-hmm. and he's like, if you're not putting in prayer time, on you know, he was a little cheesy. He was like, on your knees praying, uh, then you know. But it was cool, you know. But when I'm out in mobile, 
I'm not saying everything's on the go. I'll mm-hmm. write something here, jot something down there. There's not a time where you just sit there and pray or sit yeah. there and read. And so yeah. it is. Cool. I think it's hard. Space is good. It requires space from the world. I went through a set a monthly retreat where mm-hmm. for a day I go away by myself with some yeah. books and something to write. And I, it's one of the things I just had to force myself as a discipline into doing because otherwise I'm just always reacting. And I'm mm-hmm. always just being frantic. I did just find a secret location here in Oakley, though. Well, don't share it. No, it's secret, <laughs> but it's cool. Uh, I Right behind my house, there's all this honeysuckle growing. And I've always trimmed it at our fences, but this year it's really taken over the kids' trampoline. So I was like, I think, and there's like, it's, it's a fence and there's like some barbed wire up there, but it's in a real back corner of our yard, so it doesn't really even matter. Uh, but I was like, I'm going to go on the other side of the fence and cut the honeysuckle from the root so that they're just going crazy. So I went over there because we live right, our back of our yard's all buildings. And I, I went over across the drive-thru, you know, the drive-thru here, Isers, mm-hmm. um, through there a lot. And there's a little fence. And it took me to the lot behind my house, and it's like completely secluded parking lot with a little table right in the middle, and it's like calm and serene. And I'm like, I'm gonna come here and start just reflecting until like lunch break happens and people get mad. But there's no door, so I don't know who's going there. There's no cars parked there, and it's secluded in well, buildings. I think that building's abandoned, now, right? I don't know what's going on. I think on. that's part of that development. Yeah, it's weird. Have man. you been to the Glade in Oakley? What's the Glade? There's a place called the Glade in Oakley that's like this weird intersection of like backyards that doesn't get taken care of, but somebody mm. personally paved a asphalt path through it. Where? And there's, it's behind my house. And me and Leo finally go running back there. It cuts down the street runs parallel to mine. Wow. But there's this huge wooded area. I think I want to go back there and build a park bench to sit um, Sitting on, there's a couple good trees to sit under at St. Cecilia's in their little yard that's off the side. It's always shaded. I'll yeah. do that. You can sit on the porch here anytime. Yeah. I like the porch here. It's actually nice. I don't like to. I don't really love to sit outside and read because I do get distracted easily. Like I am super ADHD. I have to focus on. I have to have something to do. That's why I'm a terrible prayer. Like, yeah, I, I can't sit and. I think I'm better outside prayer. reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'm better outside reading than inside reading, but I'm better inside prayer than outside prayer. Mm-hmm. Outside. Okay, I'm going to circle back to your question because I need time to Are you still on so, hell? No, not hell. Oh. When, like, I mean, there are also... Madeline Lingle? I thought of another one. I like too. Madeline Lingle, but um, she's been important to me. But um, And these are not women of color whose name, like... So, these are white women. I'm just for... Richardson. What's her name? Jan Richardson. Jan Richardson is um, a visual artist and a poet and a pastor. She's trained as a theologian. She does a lot of what feels like integrating work. Um, she does her most recent book that I know of was a book of blessings that she wrote after her spouse died. Was she a poet as well? You said? She is. Um, she has some, yeah, she's a painter and a poet and who was the other person? I'm sorry. Let's see. I had a second person in mind. I can't remember. It went away. Kathy Pratt. I don't know Kathy Pratt. Oh, I just said you might also like. Yeah. Angela Looney, Elizabeth Kirby, Jane Bott. So you should read them and then find Ooh. out about all about Ew, them. That's a lot of reading them. for or people I don't know. Things. I actually realized the other day I've never in my life read a book. Right. From that. Uh, that I just randomly read it like it's always been recommended mm-hmm. to me by someone. Mm-hmm. Always. Whether I will totally fiction, judge a book by its cover. I will yeah. totally like if a book's cover looks cool. Yeah, I'll okay. that. Yeah. Well, we have a couple, uh, I mean, I have a couple friends who've published books or even seminary guys or professors who have done books and was like, oh, your book looks so stupid. Like, make it look cool. Yeah. Put something on it. You get, to, you, get, I, you get tell a book, you can tell when a book was written just like you tell when a building was built. You sure. can tell by the color of the book. Who has a really Foster. cool looking books? Rob Bell? <laughs> 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 um, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor. Did you read her? Uh, she's a, there's a number of Episcopal in, women in that I really like. I can't imagine a single woman would have been recommended this reading. Sure, that's unless it was for like a prayer book. Some they deem <laughs> some they deem <laughs> children's, children's ministry, ministry book. Some they deem like low or like really right. it's bad. Which is fascinating to me because children's ministry is like what you how you are formed as a child. Well, with you. it hit me when I was I I was a senior in high school and I went up to my dad. Because I didn't understand something. Because a missionary had come to our church, mm-hmm. a woman missionary, yeah. and so 
our church that said women can't lead. So women couldn't uh, do anything up front. They couldn't be elders or deacons. Uh, they could, But they could teach Sunday school, which is weird that you would let them. If they I can't know. have authority, we can do anything with you. But anyway, so uh, the missionary came, and I'm listening to her, and she's like, well, where I'm at, we brought Jesus to this group of people, and it was just me. So I'm the pastor of the church, and I do this, and everyone's like, hey, man, sister, you're so amazing, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, but I went to my dad's like, I thought we thought that it wasn't okay. And he, my dad, I don't know. Um, but, you know, then I went to the youth pastor, and they're like, and it was, yeah, it was like, oh, for uh, for people of color in another country who is poor, sure, you got a woman can do whatever you want, but she can't lead me. That That's really what it meant. And that was the day I was like, okay, well, that's one that I don't believe now. <laughs> like, right. I... So much of my upbringing was just me having to figure out, okay, well, that doesn't make sense now that I know the world. But uh, that, or like, we would let women read scripture. Isn't that all authority? That, you know, we would let them sing songs. Of course, they could sing a song. Um, but songs have, are powerful in teaching. And like, it was the, but they didn't believe it's that. the dumbest theology. But man. they didn't believe it. So songs are just filler space for the sermon. And that denomination, mm-hmm. the only thing that really matters is the sermon. The first the woman, sermon baptism. The first one pastor I ever heard was Alice Peterson. At, at, well, I mean, so picture me. I had been in ministry. I pro- professional ministry in two thousand one, and I didn't get to Crestview till two thousand five. Yeah. So four years, I was of the opinion like, well, women, I guess they just can't do it because this is what I was told. And then Allison, and I remember being like, oh, well, I've never heard this. This is mm-hmm. interesting. And then now, of course, like, she's one of the best pastors. I've completely ever egalitarian, don't care, but. Uh, She's a remarkably good pastor. Yeah. She wasn't a great public speaker, but, it, but even that was all based on the drug. Of the but there's also a myth of the pastor that of what a pastor is supposed to be, and usually that seemed to be defined by more masculine roles. And and what I had to figure out, which is why I didn't Asshole feel, is like uh, artists or if you go into type B personalities, were also not really right. accepted in the pastoral role, like. And I was like, oh, well, I feel called to this, but I don't feel like I relate to what you're saying. So it was a whole, oh, well, you can be, and they were, one of Jason's great stories, there was a dude at the church we were at who, uh, man, he was so, he had a bedside manner. He was awesome at visiting mm-hmm. people, but they wanted him to preach and he just, this is not his deal. It just wasn't he his wasn't deal. Good and he hated it every time. He was really bad at it. Mm-hmm. And they ended up like letting him go because he wasn't. He left. Or he left. Or they burn him out yeah, because he, he just out. felt so stressed. And it's like, oh, well, why can't you just have a pastor that doesn't. Where, where they would have sent me as a staff member to, to visit hospitals. That would fine. But they would never let me preach because I wasn't ready to minister. And I was like, well, I'm a better public speaker than he is. Mm-hmm. And I suck bedside. That's just, I'm not good. I'm 25. Right. I'm not good at this. I don't right. do this. I haven't lived anything. Why not swap roles? Why stay because in let people just do their thing and yeah. let people flourish with the gifts that they have? Because it's been it's one of our great. things. It's liberating, it's liberating. To, to be able to live in your gifts and not be we, asked to do. what We have you... a financial guy at Legend who does great stuff for us. Yeah. The Legend, we just wanted to bankrupt for Legend ten years ago. Sure. But this guy keeps us. He keeps our bills paid, and those kind of things. And he asks us hard questions about bills, mm-hmm. and he keeps up with us, and in a good way. And in the same way, this guy would never want to get up and publicly speak or anything mm-hmm. like that either. And so, I just don't understand the need for the pastor to be everything. Every, people. Well, and that's been one of our things lately is how you do, how you even really evaluate a pastor because I think churches or leaderships or elder boards do such mm-hmm. a bad job because they they don't know how. they've. They have a picture of what they think a pastor should be. But when really every pastor, and I think this is the beauty of the church and the Holy Spirit and everything else, is that we're all different gifts. Like, if the pastor is, man, our pastor is a prayer. Then when we come to evaluate it, if he says, hey, I haven't been praying lately. Oh, well, it sounds like there's something wrong. We would like, you know, that's what you, or maybe your strength is, whatever your strength is, whatever it is that God has put in you to be. That's how we, if if it comes to quote unquote just um, job performance, that's what we should be rated on, not the things that, you know, yeah. you don't have nothing to do with. I don't know. You, you have, take that. You have the noisiest street in Oakley, I think. Oh, I this, love it. This is going to be the noisiest podcast we've done yet. I sort of like, like, like the bird. Or oh, yeah, trucks. you do have a lot of big trucks that come down here. Yeah. I, I did just I'm delivering to the stores. I'm surprised they're allowed to cut down the street zoning wise. Mm-hmm. As a community council member, I have difficult questions about that. Well, I would invite you to share those. Ask those questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Thanks, Renee. For, no, you're fine. We're going to be done. It's, 
for being on our podcast. Being a good friend. We and being a partner I, in ministry. Can I I just like to can I tell a short story real quick? Yeah, let's So hear. my very first day at work two years ago, almost two years to the day. Oh, wow. two, two years no plea. Yeah. Um I, uh, so I like to work in coffee shops a lot, and I was—I knew I was going to miss my coffee shop that I spent time in. I knew, like you know, a third of my congregation came in, in and out of my previous previous world, and um, so I knew there was this coffee shop down the street. And so Did I kind of tell you about it, or you just knew? I just knew because I was looking around the website because I wanted to find a coffee shop, and right. I'm like, oh, well, here's Red Tree. It's right down the street from where, from where, or, yeah, from where I'm the. the the churches. So I I drive, I find my way from my house to Oakley, which is still a big deal, and I go to the coffee shop and and I said something. I, I said something about like because Justin, you talk to everybody who walks in, and, right, right. and you know, and you're like, oh, you're Joel, you're you're the new Joel, yeah. and, and you greeted me and welcomed me, and it was my first day doing my first uh-huh. thing, and you were you were so hospitable. Thank Thanks. you. That's what I like to be. Anyway. Both of you have been really hospitable, and I'm grateful for well, you're cool, have man. colleagues in the neighborhood. Well, Thank you. Well, we get, we've been dismissed so. by so many other pastors as not real pastors. Because <laughs> we're not real pastors. <laughs> and so you've been one person that has talked to us like a peer and equal, and that gets a long way with us. And so we yeah. really appreciate that. And yeah. Thanks. Well, thank so. you for how you care for Oakley. Oh. Hey, well, thanks for being our We're going to have our inappropriate band play us off. You motherfuckers need Jesus. Then you